This is Zenshu, the podcast, episode 466, for the week of February 10th, 2019. Well, hello, welcome to Zenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fansite. Zenshu. Now explain to me, what is a fan site? We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Yeah, what's a website? Uh, it's a thing on the internet that you go to. It's uh, updated here and there. C- come back once a month for uh, the latest news? Well, you know, come back every so often. It's not like social media where things get uh, commented upon and snarked upon constantly. But we try to keep an archive of the information that's going on, and we have a a very uh, large database, as the cool kids call it, with a lot of information in it. Now, Julian, how do I use Kanzenshu? I get this question a lot. Well, you go to www.kanzenshu.com. Just just type it in. Just go look at things. (laughs) And you can click around, or if you're on a mobile device, you can poke around with your finger. And uh, see what you find. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, my name is Mike. I already mentioned that is Julian over there. It's the two of hey. us this week. Getting back into the swing of things. So uh, I'm really glad I didn't mention what the uh, previously mentioned topic was because we got a little bit of sickness going around. Then I actually hurt my back and I didn't want to record for a while. And Ouch. then it's been a couple of weeks. Like, oh, yeah, I should uh, should start doing this again. Uh, yeah. So it's you. It's myself. Uh, Heath was hoping to be here, and then one of the kiddos started throwing up all over the place. So, oh, I know that that feeling. Uh, so, Julian, you and I, we are going to get back into the swing of things here. It's going to be a super cool and casual episode. We're going to catch up on some listener questions, some that are backlogged from email and tweets, and then we get a whole bunch of new ones, and some of the new ones are probably going to push back the old ones, and I'll forget about the old ones, and it'll remind me a year from now, and we'll catch up on them again. But uh, that's what we're doing, and hopefully that gets us back on track to uh, catch up on all the regular topical things we've uh, been wanting to do. But uh, as I look down the list here, we got some really cool questions, things about just like uh, the series in general, um, merchandise stuff, story-related stuff, language-related stuff. It's kind of, you know, the, the all-consensu hit parade in terms of questions. So uh, pretty right. excited for that. I actually want to get things going a little bit, and maybe this is kind of language-related. A lot of people asking questions about, hey, what's going on with the wiki? Uh, we we promise we will talk about that at some point soon. Uh, we we hope to bring some pretty good transparency to what's going on there, do a little bit of a catch up. But Julian, something that you and I worked on based on a podcast episode I did with Jake a while back is the family name guide, which I promised was going to be up last summer. And here we are in February <laughs> and it's right? not online yet. Uh, however, uh, I will say it's not online because I'm trying to get it as complete as possible. And I keep discovering new things. Uh, and this is a little bit family name guide related, site proper related, and actually wiki related. I've been enjoying doing just like random characters. It's kind of a toss back to how uh, back on Daizenshu EX when I had the plan of, oh, I'm going to do a character guide. That sounds great. That never launched because, of course, you know, one person can't really do that. I started working on a pool because I'm like, oh, yeah, he's just around for a little bit. That would be an easy one to knock out. And it turns out a pool's history between the manga and the anime <laughs> is a little too convoluted for its own good. Can you really tell who's who in different scenes? Like, oh, that was a dumb choice. So yes. I'm I'm kind of doing that again on the wiki where I'm choosing I'm choosing some characters that are named and don't actually even appear, which I love. That makes it so easy. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is the one reference to them. Get it documented and you're done. Uh, so yes. a couple of the Get characters. Get that general copper art- article done, right? Exactly. Oh, that's a good one. I should do that one next. <laughs> so a couple that I've been doing are from episode, I think it's 41 of Dragon Ball GT. Uh, and because we haven't quite hit that far in our eventually returning to Dragon Ball GT Review of Awesomeness. I won't say what it's specifically about, but there are some characters that are in name only in that episode. Uh, You have Hmm. Super One, for example, uh, and Julian, there's also a character, Ibichiri. Now, this is kind of like a a multifold kind of realization about some of these names in here. So, Julian, some of the names that they reference are Kid Katsu, Super One, 
Ipichiri and Papaya Man. We end up seeing who Papaya Man is, uh, actually. Right. I want to go through a couple of these names with you real quick, because uh, I, I just had fun just writing about them, taking a screenshot if they're there. Then I'm like, wait, I'm learning something about language. Wait, I think I learned something that I've never seen documented anywhere else. Oh, my God. And that just gets me excited. So Super One. This just seems like a very obvious kind of name where it's he's a, just a strong, cool dude, right? Well, maybe. I mean, I I don't remember watching that episode of GT, so I don't even remember. Supawan. That sounds yeah. like maybe a, a dog in the guise <laughs> no. of Superman. No, there's no character that we see. So who knows? Maybe it is actually a dog and that's where it comes around. But let's keep going with uh, some of these names here. Uh, let me go with, uh, as it relates to the family name guide, Ipichiri. Now, Julian, what would you think this would be a play on? I would suppose that it's uh, Ebichiri, which is a uh, Japanese style Chinese dish that's uh, shrimp or prawns, if you will, in this savory uh chili spiced sauce okay here's the thing this is always everywhere that i've seen written out all is one complete word single single name ipichiri however in the closed captioning for this episode there is an interpunct in between ipichi and li which leads me to Uh. think we have a given name and a family name here. Lee may, in fact, be this character's family name. Had to add that into the guide. I, I suppose that's possible, like, you know, Bruce Lee sort of thing, except not. So then there's another character here, Kid Katsu. This is another one where I go to the closed captioning and I learn new things. Uh, turns out it may not actually be Kid Katsu. It's been written that way in uh, Funimation's English subtitle track. Steve Simmons did Dragon Ball GT. Uh, and as we know, for a lot of what he did on this series, it was by ear only. Sometimes uh, there were scripts received, not always. Uh, I don't remember right. what, what, when, where he said he originally did get scripts. Uh, not entirely sure on that. So just giving that possibility here. But if you go to the uh, closed captionings, it's not Kiddo Katsu. It's Kito. Katsu. Yes. And in terms of a pun, well, Kitokatsu would mean like we'll surely win. And uh, in fact, that same pun is the reason uh, why there's a, a semi tradition of giving out Kit Kats to kids who are taking their high school or college entrance exams. Uh huh. Because it means they will surely succeed. And you also fatten them up on uh, tonkatsu. There you go. And that definitely fits in with the, the Super One kind of naming scheme, what, what I think they're going for there. Uh, so this isn't necessarily family name related, but just, oh, I, I, I think we got a, a spelling for a character that I've never seen the spelling for, kind of like from an original source somewhere. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And for uh, the sake of argument, though, uh, like ending in to and do can be confused fairly often in Japanese, especially uh in older situations like the word bed exists as both beddo which is more common nowadays and also betto ah all right i guess you could say there's an out on this one but uh <laughs> if you had to guess do, do you think it would be kid katsu or kito uh it entirely depends on how faithful to the pun they wanted to be and i don't have the people in front of me to pick their brains. So, well, that's why I'm saying in in context of another another character being called Super One, I, I kind of want to go in that direction. So that's the kind Fair of enough. absurd kind of like fact checking research that goes into uh, a character <laughs> that doesn't even actually appear in the series is simply named. Uh, just some some fun things that have been going on. Uh, you know, in terms of people wonder what the hell do you do, Mike? Well, this is the kind of thing that I do. <laughs> Yes. All right. Uh, with that being said, Julian, what we're going to do this episode, like I said, we got a, a bunch of questions from people. So I, I just want to kind of plow through them and chew on them as much as we want to chew on them and just have a good time. So that is the plan. I say let's get on into it. Let's start here, actually, uh, with SimTech. Uh, do we think Toei will ever remaster Dragon Ball Z, GT, or the movies on Blu-ray? And do we think Gogeta or Bardock will appear in the Broly movie? Uh, asking based on uh, the choice of movies 812 and the Bardock TV special for the theatrical screenings. Uh, whoops, this email's from July. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, so with regard to the second half of the question, I hope you're aware by now that yes. <laughs> I think um, you figured it out. <laughs> as for the first half. Um, oh, geez. I'd say that eventually, probably, uh, although after what we've seen with the movies going on, going on with the Blu-ray release, are we sure we want them to is the other question. Yeah, I guess let's briefly talk about that. So uh, I think we talked a little bit about this on the podcast. Uh, at, at a random point last year, suddenly, all of the original 17, is it, theatrical films, uh showed up on Amazon Prime and Netflix in Japan, uh, clearly remastered <laughs> in uh, HD presentation. Uh, did not have, I guess what you'd say, the proper audio that the Dragon Box versions had from back in 2006. And it was like, oh, all right, clearly this exists. Uh, what's going to happen there? And then at the very end of the year, they announced, I think it was November, December, January, they put it out in three batches. We did, in fact, get all of the movies on Blu-ray. Uh, Julian, we had a, a couple fun little things go on with this yeah. Blu-ray release of the movie. First thing was, we're terribly sorry. How could this ever have happened? We accidentally mirrored a tiny little piece of artwork on the back of a slipcover. We would be happy to replace this for you. Heavens forbid. Right. And then... And then, eh, we're going to censor the movies. Yeah, no big deal, right? Wait, what? <laughs> and they didn't they didn't put out like an earnest apology. No, just, no. Oh, the the phrasing that we had on the back cover did not represent the material that's inside correctly. We are sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not the problem here. <laughs> the problem is that the material inside is not representative of what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Fix that. <laughs> right. So they're censoring middle fingers. Yeah, that's not something they did before. No, and it's not something that was done. This is a great point that a lot of people brought up. It's like the version that's on Amazon Prime and Netflix is easily accessible to children. And the version that's on the, the $40 Blu-ray, that's the one that you're going to censor uh, to make it yeah. better for all audiences. What are you talking about? That's the one that the collectors are going to buy. It's not the one that you're just going to have randomly kids picking up. And I also want to mention, this isn't the only change that they're doing here. Uh, our friend, your friend Kay, noticed very early on that they were kind of doing some extra digital painting to correct some ancient animation errors. Uh, so they're doing that. And at the same time, they're, they're doing the middle finger thing. And it also seems like they didn't fix some of the color issues they were having, maybe even made things worse. And I've seen some <laughs> I kind of feel like quasi legitimate conspiracy theories of they, they messed with some of that stuff to hide some of the painting they're doing with, uh, uh, with these other you know, okay. aspects here. I don't know, man. It's. It was really disappointing because I bought the first Blu-ray because, of course, I'm going to get TBZ Movie 1. <laughs> Cut that in. <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful. It looked great. It sounded great. I've never seen Goku's nipples in such glorious presentation <laughs> on my television screen before. And just as they kept going, it's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel like they're probably going to move on to doing more aspects of the original series on Blu-ray. I uh, We've said this. I don't know if I want what they're offering, though. Yeah. It's like, what's the point? I mean, come on. Why do this? I just don't get it, especially the, the way they phrased it, the, the non-apology explanation and the, the backwards logic about it. V very dumb. And... <laughs> You could go, who cares about, you know, just censoring a middle finger, whatever. It looks great. Sounds great. Just get it out there. <laughs> yeah, but this is no longer the, the, the perfect archival version of these films. And yeah. the fact that we can't move forward with that is really disappointing. And eh, who knows what comes next, right? It's no longer the definitive release. All right. Let's uh, kind of jump around a little bit. Instead of uh, a crummy release, let's talk about favorite kind of releases. Zenpai here. What's our uh, personal favorite edition of the manga? Julian, we've had so many editions. Uh, even in the last couple of years, we got another new version of the manga right? <laughs> in the form of the, the Digest edition. So between the original... Tom Cobone version, the 42 volume release. Uh, then we got the Kanzenban edition from 2002, 2004, condensed down to 34 mm -hmm. volumes, uh, bigger size, 
fantastic quality paper, kind of as we were talking about, like an archival version of the series. Uh, a little bit of updates towards the very, yeah. very end there. Uh, and that was kind of it for a while. And we thought that was going to be the standard. Guidebooks were starting to use the Kanzenban as the version they referenced. And then it right. felt like uh, they kind of slipped back on that. And the Tonkobon <laughs> version was the original right. again. And uh, then just the last couple of years, we got this digest version. Julian, it, the best way to describe it is it's the same size as the original weekly jumps, like sort of roughly the same quality paper, maybe slightly better. It's fine. It's it was limited though. So yeah, my fa- my favorite version is is of course the weekly Shonen Jump release with all of its crappy paper and its sub substandard printing, and all five hundred blurb- plus volumes, blurbs obscuring the artwork. And yes, you know you know you have to have the shelf space for all of it. We only have like a hundred and I want to say thirty ish issues yeah. out of the five hundred and no five hundred five hundred and sixteen because there are multiple issues with. Double uh, chapters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Uh, because obviously people have heard about the fabled Konzenshu archives spread across all yes. different <laughs> areas of the country. Um, obviously, you know, we want to pick up the original version. But w- what was uh, your train of thought? Like, what were you prioritizing as you were and continue to uh, go back and, and pick up the original Weekly Shonen Jump serialization here. So the things that I prioritize are A, color chapters, um, B, Dragon Ball on the cover, C, um, informational content within the volume that either has something related to Dragon Ball or Akira Toriyama. Yeah. Sometimes there's like little blurbs. I, f- I forgot if it was the Tezuka Award or the um, the other one that they they did, which was more comedy oriented, but they had a few uh, cartoons done by Toriyama with uh, Kamisen in explaining the process. And there was also things like movie information, including yes. character profiles, for example, for uh, Z Movie 5 that you can't find anywhere else. We now have that. I got that last time I was in Japan. And uh, the fusion contest, uh, the introduction in 1995 number 13, and the results in 1995 number 19. I was going to say, you want to talk more about Wiki? Someone's been writing the entries for Pitidin and Gohunks. Yes, and we, of course, can't leave out uh, the original version of Gohunks, which was done by 15-year-old uh, Kentaro Yabuki, better known now for Black Cat and Toraburu, uh, but he was once a middle schooler doodling Dragon Ball, and he won a prize. Can I just say that I've never actually heard that spoken out loud and i'm like oh oh that's the joke that title that's like one of those moments when someone finally puts together that miles tails prower miles per hour is the yep. character's name that that just clicked for me trouble oh okay <laughs> yes and and the protagonist gets himself into all sorts of trouble that would in um a real world get him arrested wow well. Many, many times a, over. That's a subject for another day. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. So uh, uh, your favorite <laughs> version of the manga. Um, I mean, you already said like weekly Shonen Jump serialization. And I feel mm. like you're, you're half serious, but also kind of like mostly serious about it uh, from a historical perspective. Absolutely. It's it's sort of history's first rough draft of Dragon Ball. Yeah. Um, Tor- Toriyama even made some adjustments to the series inside um in terms of uh art and uh more more so dialogue in certain chapters yeah the tankobun release do you have a couple examples of that because i feel like that's the kind of thing that maybe a lot of people don't know and one of the, the most famous that we have brought up uh you did a little thing about this in the uh 30th anniversary magazine we did uh, they changed gohan's age yeah, so in his introduction chapter, he describes himself as three years old. And in the very next chapter on on the title page, he's four. So apparently that got nixed very quickly after it was done. Uh, but the thinking is, for me at least, that prop- probably they were thinking, oh, it's going to be on TV, and do we really want a kid that young being pummeled? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Funimation did the same thing, just went for another year, even on top of that. Right. I mean, realistically, he can't be any older than four because uh, Goku only 
met up with Chi-Chi again five years before the start of right. the, the Z section. But <laughs> like, uh, how can we make this work? <laughs> it's not physically possible. Yeah. Uh, another one actually uh, related to the family name guide. Uh, you'll see this at some point. Uh, Ten Shinhan's name was uh, adjusted between the original serialization and even the Tan Kobon. Uh, there's at yes. least one instance of Ten space Shinhan. That's right. Uh, so it seems like maybe Toriyama at first was going for like a family name and given name and then changed his mind, but it's not really sure. Another thing that seems to happen that actually carries over into the Tankobon is that at first the furigana, the pronunciation next to his name, is written in hiragana, but then uh, like the next volume, it starts being written in katakana instead. I need to go back and pinpoint when that starts and jump as well. It but, is, yeah, uh, yeah. It's an interesting change, and it's not exactly clear. But the other big one that I remember is that uh, when Gohan and Kuririn reunite on the battlefield just before the Saiyans arrive, um, they talk to each other like they've never met before, even though they have met already. Yeah, yeah. And apparently somebody pointed that out to Toriyama, or he remembered, because in the Tankobon and all subsequent versions, it's it's adjusted so that they're talking like they've seen each other before, and Kredidin comments on, oh, you've grown up so much. Those are all great <laughs> examples. I'm pretty sure all of those actually are uh, cited on the respective uh, manga guide pages on the website. So I think uh, so. I'll double check that and uh, give you a link to those specific chapters yes. in the show notes. But um, I do, I do want to say though, in terms of the ones that you can buy yeah. uh, in terms of space considerations, the Tonko bone is probably the most compact yeah. that or the full color comics, depending on whether you prefer the original artwork of the grayscaled or everything colorized. It's true. Uh, I didn't mention the full color comics and the, the difference there that we should probably know in Japan, they're, they're regular Tankobon size as opposed to Viz who uh, kind of scaled them up. Right. And those are nice, although they lack the cover page artwork for the most part. And the chapters are renumbered based on the arc, Yeah, which yeah. is a weird choice, but that's out there. It's a possibility if you're looking for compactness and in the case of the full color version, if you want full color. If you want the color pages as Toriyama drew them, there is the, the Kanzenban, which is on higher quality, not quite glossy, but nice uh, thick paper stock. It has most of the original chapter title pages, except for a few that we detail in the manga guide. Mm -hmm. And uh, those few title pages that didn't make it into the Kanzenban are present in the Digest Edition. The Digest Edition's gimmick is that it sort of imitates the series as it was uh, printed in Shonen Jump, kind of, sort of. So it recreates the title pages with all the, the hype text and the fancy blurbs and mentions the contests that you could enter uh, along with the results, but it like leaves out the names of the winners I, I assume for privacy reasons i was gonna say what is the one that heath kind of like reconstructed and cleaned up uh it was chapter 12 i think yeah that early where like the entire bottom half is taken up by contest results yeah uh but it's it's sort of this weird chimera release because i mean for one thing if you're into uh fonts at all you'll notice that <laughs> um anything they've had to recreate from scratch uses fonts that weren't in the original release because they originally used photo setting and fonts from the, uh, the foundry Shaken, and but they've never gotten around to digitizing their own catalog. So instead they use uh, uh, near lookalike substitutes by Morisawa, which some of them are more obvious than others. The other thing is that the actual content in terms of the text, as well as the artwork is exactly the same as the Kanzenban version. There were right. some graphical edits, uh, like fixing mistakes and um, making things a little more coherent, but also changing the dialogue, like the date of the Cell game. Instead of the 17th of M, whatever that means, they made it May 26th to mirror the Dragon Ball Z TV series. And yeah. that carries over to the Digest edition for whatever reason. Um, the only weird thing, didn't we, didn't we see that at the end, it's actually like a hybrid ending between the Tankobo and the Kansenban ending? Yeah, it's, it's really weird. So again, I'm going to say that Julian's favorite is probably the original Jump serialization. If you had to go number two, what would you go with? In terms of things that are easily obtainable, because uh, you said the Tonko Bone is like a nice compact release, but then then say that's what you would choose. Yeah. So I I mean, 
the Kanzenban for the art. It depends on what you want, really. Uh, I'd say for the art, the Kanzenban, for the a similar experience to reading it in Jump, the Digest Edition, uh, for compactness, either the full color or the Tankobon. So there. <laughs> that makes it so much easier. They're all good in their own way. We just buy them all. <laughs> that's what we do i'm looking at all of them over on my shelf so well not all the the jumps that's mostly heath's domain yeah. uh i seem you to have end the up v with jumps. The, i have the v jumps and the dr slump jumps <laughs> which yep. is great and, and the psycho jumps don't don't say their name too loud <laughs> <laughs> you're waiting for the shelf to collapse there and mike's death was recorded on the podcast that evening all right let's move on uh john oh here Podcast episode 42. That's a very long time ago. Julian, do you remember where you were like 13 years ago? Oh, boy. I guess I was in Japan maybe at the time. That's probably a fair guess. Anyway, so the ending of that episode has uh, what sounds like an English remix of Zenkai Power. They were curious what that is. And then they have another question here. Uh, so we have, oh, God, when was the last time I updated it? It slash podcast. Yeah, slash endings. We actually have a page in the podcast section that lists what the ending theme is for every episode, except I stopped updating it at episode 397, so it's been a while. Uh, but episode 42, so for a while there, I was using English versions produced by a group called Age of Wonder from the Philippines. This was... Uh, a group that performed new English language versions of Dragon Ball songs for the English language releases mm. of the films down there. Uh, Zenkai Power. I love the Age of Wonder version of uh, Kimigai Hero. You are the hero more than anything else in this living world. I adore the version <laughs> of that song. Uh, yeah, Age of Wonder from uh, Songs of a High Spirited Saga. Uh, a lovely, lovely release. Uh, one of the Dragon Ball kind of like merchandise holy grails out there uh delightful huh. little release uh then they have a question about the end of dragon ball gt which i think i'll just hold on to uh, i see this come up a lot but the the answer is he was faking it so if you know what we're talking about i guess you know what we're talking about there uh why don't we go back to another language thing here julian uh on twitter vanishing blood asked uh key versus chi which is the more accurate translation how do you want to break this down I, I guess let's actually put this in context. I, I think one of the reasons that someone would ask this is Viz actually uses Chi and, and has since 1998. Yes. So it goes back to the concept of Chi in general, particularly how it relates to uh, ancient Chinese medicine as well as the martial arts. The idea that you have this life force uh, flowing through you and uh, among other things, uh, it's also the same uh, Chinese character is also used to relate to air, breath, uh, weather, things that seem to relate to that sort of um, that um, life-giving force, as you as you might describe it. And in Chinese, uh, particularly Mandarin Chinese, it's pr pronounced. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the tones, but qi. Uh, it it sounds a lot like ch, but it's like. It's like a different part of the tongue that hits the palate. But anyway, that's that's the sound in Chinese. But the same character in Japanese is pronounced ki, with a hard K sound, just like English. And really, they're the same thing. Uh, if you take karate, you'd probably know ki. If you take a Chinese martial art, you'd probably learn qi. But they're the same thing. And uh, neither one is more correct than the other. And since uh, Dragon Ball, especially towards the beginning, has a very strong uh china sort of um influence it would make sense to use chi in preference to key except later on not so much it depends on what you prefer i feel like for me if you're reading it in japanese and then especially when you're watching the show in japanese hearing the characters in japanese say aloud key i feel like it it's a pretty easy you know leap just to just spell it ki but like you said just with the with the chinese roots and if you're going strictly by the manga you know adapting it that way i i, I can see why viz went with what they went with especially at the time you know 20 years ago 
I kind of see why Viz went with it. Let's see. Roy here says, new fan of the site, uh, loving the animation styles guide and the podcasts. Uh, this email is also about a year old. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Favorite collectibles we own. Uh, any interesting story on why Dragon Box 2 was uh, short printed, a limited run there? Uh, I guess let's start with the Dragon Box thing. The way that releases typically work is that uh, the first volume tends to sell the most, and so more of it are produced, and then subsequent volumes have a smaller print run. Uh, but then you may ask, well, Dragon Box 7 seems like it was easier to get than Dragon Boxes 2 and 4. What happened there? We don't really know. <laughs> it may be that by the time they got around to doing the end of the goal, we, we actually could print a few more of these. So maybe it kind of like dipped in the middle and came back up again. Uh, it was also a case where they didn't explicitly tell us that the Dragon Boxes were limited. I think the actual first instance of them going on record about that was on uh, an Anime News Network podcast, uh, a ways into them coming out or shortly after they finished like it wasn't early on uh so i think a lot of people just went out there and <laughs> snapped them all up and there was a period where you could legitimately <laughs> just keep selling them for 400 bucks a pop and could have put all the consensu kids through college if we uh bought all the amazon 26 dollar blowout sales when we had a chance but who knows <laughs> what happened there uh julian collectibles favorite merchandise that you own anything come to mind for you uh let's see i have a ton of print stuff that's scattered between japan and here and your and he's houses right but a lot of a lot of the uh original uh shonen jump runs of stuff i'm my holy grail that i still haven't found is the first issue uh with dragon ball 1984 number 51 right and i'm also looking for the one before that that has the preview which has some um, artwork of bulma that hasn't been reprinted ever. I mean, um, it's you can buy it. It just costs four hundred dollars. It's usually readily available t- for purchase. I get outbid on it constantly. The same thing. <laughs> uh, the same thing with Toriyama's uh, fan club newsletters, yeah. Birdland Press. If you see it pop up, uh, you can try, but somebody's gonna spend more money than you, and it's guaranteed <laughs> gonna go for a ridiculously high price. It happened to me very recently. In terms of the stuff I actually have, again, uh, some of the. Um, like the the full color issues, in particular the uh, first Doctor Slump uh, crossover issue, as yeah. well as the uh, Goku dying and uh, going to the afterlife. That one is also in full color all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have uh, a few other pieces of merchandise, like the all all seven of the hardcover Daisen shoot with uh, Shenlong Times. Mm-hmm. I own. Um, a uh, very nice uh, figure of uh, Goku. It's from I think Mega House's desktop real McCoy line. Oh yeah, which yeah. In in general, I'm not a fan of the way that uh, Mega House interprets the ladies of Dragon Ball, but uh, <laughs> s- some of their other figures are actually quite nice. Um, I also have a, a decently large size figure of Toribot that was released for Battle of Gods. I think I got it in like a convenience store gotcha type drawing. Um, what else do I have? Mike, you probably know better than I do. <laughs> what you have? Yeah, because it's like the shared ownership resource <laughs> over here. Uh, I mean, I, I really love, I mean, it's kind of cliche. Oh, Mike loves the old magazines. I do. I, I love the old V jumps, uh, the, the 94 issues that you recently brought down. I think it's February through May over there that I'm looking at. Those are great. Just the the contemporary look at Super Butoden 2, which is such like an integral part of my Dragon Ball, like very personal fandom history and story. Uh, I, I love that. That that means a lot to me there, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, Animazement 2013 was an experience like nothing else. Uh, got my Battle of Gods uh, little flyer sheet over there signed by uh, Nozawa, Furukawa, Nakao, Miraguchi. Um, fantastic. I mean, that, that obviously yeah. means a lot. Uh, I mean, just kind of looking around, it's just the, the older, <laughs> kind of like the better for me right now. I think right. I'm kind of feeling the same way. Oh, uh I almost forgot. I have the uh, the uh, reincarnated as Ma- Yamcha manga signed by um, Toru Furia. That, I yeah, just got yeah. that uh, November last year. You know, just kind of going along those lines, when I was mentioned about Animazement and also with Furia right there, it's not just the physical stuff. It's 
it's kind of cliche. <laughs> the one piece was the friends and the memories we made along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's kind of what I'm going for here as well. Like Han Senshu as an entity is uh, something that, that means a lot to me and all, all the people and the things that it has brought. So Yes, absolutely. Like me, my meeting Nozawa last year and getting on Japanese TV again, that was fun. Uh, my getting on Japanese TV the first time with uh, Hokotate was fun too. Exactly. Even though it was only a few seconds. But yeah, I, I, I mean, not, not to cross uh, franchises here, but I feel like the, the joke at the end of One Piece is that the One Piece will be the relationships that they made along the way and the adventures that they had. And it'll be just a big joke and, and somebody will be very unhappy. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of feel that way. Yeah. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, we got some more language things, but let's break it up. Uh, Lum Ramayasha says, what do you think of Broly's box office success, especially in North America? Uh, why do you think it's been more successful than previous Dragon Ball films outside of Japan? How do you think it'll influence the distribution strategy, frequency, and narrative content of future Dragon Ball films? Uh, there, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, yeah. you know, why did it succeed well here? I mean, it, it was coming off of you know, a, a popular revival series that had got it back in the public consciousness. Right. And uh, still airing in the U.S. Exactly. Still airing here. Uh, Xenoverse sold millions of copies uh, in terms of Dragon Ball fans. I mean, it been riding that for a while. Obviously, Fighters coming out doing well, setting the fighting right. game world on fire. Uh, this kind of movie, independent of what it anything it could have been was going to kind of like set the world on fire. The fact that it was uh, a reimagining of Broly on top of that, that it got a larger kind of theatrical run than the previous films right. did. I, I mean, it was <laughs> too big to fail. Right. I mean, I mean, keep in mind now Funimation has the backing of Sony. Right. Right. Uh, so that that in general means that they're going to have more power to get the message out there, like the billboards in Times Square. Yes. And to also improve their distribution. Um, I mean, it's still a relatively limited release, but still bigger than the last two movies. But there was also all those great stories about the, you know, the, the film critics being like, this, this, what is this that came in as the number three movie of the week? What you need to know about Dragon Ball? It's like, we all saw this coming a mile away. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I think uh, just the social media, even compared to a few years ago, the fact that uh, it's almost like Toei and Funimation have been coordinating their media message and yeah, yeah. releasing the film exactly a month apart rather than, you know, months or a year apart. They were really on message and they were really driving that home constantly. And that was just really getting uh, the public awareness out there. In terms of the like the the frequency and narrative content of future Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball films, even uh, this is something that Jake talked about in when we reviewed the the Broly movie itself, it's like right now, okay, but if this is setting the precedent for this is what they think they have to fall back on moving forward and kind of like losing sight of you know the the, the new inspirational spark, that's a little worrying. Uh, I honestly don't know where it's going to go. And I kind of, other than our predictions episodes, I, I don't really like kind of theorizing about where it's going to go because it could go in any direction. I mean, Julian, we know that they had, what, like three different ideas that could possibly have been this film. Uh, right. I, I feel like clearly one of them was going to be Yamoshi and that may kind of like have morphed into being a, a fight against a different scion and ended up being Broly. Uh, I feel like that's still a story they could tell. Uh, we <laughs> we yes. need our closure on Yamoshi and the, the Mechie yes. Book of Legends. We, exactly. We need to know when that was written and why and where it went. <laughs> so who knows where it's going, but uh, I hope we get new. I think they had their fun with the reimagining. Uh, let heroes, Zamasu's back, sure. Right, let them do that over there uh right. i want new and that's why i'm relatively excited and interested in this galactic patrol prisoner arc uh i am tobias because i enjoyed jocko so much and we threw so much of ourselves into documenting jocko i feel like you know, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm perfectly primed to enjoy any further exploits of the galactic patrol but i, I want to see where that goes and so far it's a little bit different great and to be perfectly honest, uh, I'd like to see uh, what 
where it goes from here. I imagine they'll continue to put out movies, you know, several years apart. Uh, they may try and tie into whatever's going on on TV if something's on TV. Um, but I yeah. think more than anything else, they really want the involvement of Toriyama. That's proven to be a winning formula thus far. It uh, it was a winning formula with One Piece movies that um, that Eiichiro Oda was involved in and continues to be involved in. I think the what the latest one they're coming out with is what Stampede. I'm not nearly caught up enough, so I'm trying to go on blackout as I reread the entirety of the manga. I'm like oh. 100, 120 chapters in right now. So Okay, well, you've only got like seven. I know. I know. Catch I'm, up. I'm like a tenth of the way, right? Like 750. Yeah, they're, they're going to get to a thousand chapters within the next year or two. Yeah. Easily, easily. All right. Uh, I guess maybe kind of related to this, Eddie asks, opinions on retcons in the story, not just in the new movie, also favorite filler. I'm of two minds about it. Uh, I love how Toriyama says, you know, I write something and I forget about it. I let it escape my mind because I need room for new ideas. Like that is Hedgehala in a nutshell right there. I think that's perfect. At the same time, Bardock, I'm... (laughs) I'm still kind of stuck on that. And what's what continues to bug me so much about that was him being on record for what, like two decades and so consistently on record about it as recent as the special selection DVD where he commented on it again and, and drew Bardock there. It's like, all right, well, if you appreciated it so much for what it was, why'd you do something different? <sighs> But I get where he's coming from. It's like, it's his series. He, he can do whatever he wants with any of right. it. So um, Bardock, I, I think, really stands out because of the Bardock TV special is such a phenomenal piece of Dragon Ball cinema, even though it's not actually a theatrical film. I think it accomplishes so much. Uh, and that's in spite of <laughs> kind of like everyone who produced it together and and the ways that they approach the series and the way that they change things about the series. Somehow that one story just came together in this perfect little package. And it's definitely, oh, you changed the thing I liked. So I have a problem with it. I don't know. What's your overall take on retcons in Dragon Ball, Toriyama related or otherwise? Um, well, I, th- I think people give the series a lot of credit for being more consistent than it ever has been. Yeah. Uh, Toriyama was constantly changing things up as he went along, adding on to the series in ways that don't necessarily jive with what's came, what's come before. And people just sort of go along with it and not think of it, which I think is a testament in some ways to Toriyama's ability to sort of add on in haphazard ways and uh, make it work. Yeah. But even you know one of the big things in the the uh, artificial humans besides the fact that Doctor Gero did not exist at all during the Red Ribbon arc, right. he was not a gleam in Toriyama's eye at the time. Uh, but Trunks clearly describes the the ones that are going to come and attack as nineteen and twenty, and then when he comes back on the scene, he is surprised to see nineteen's head as though he right. didn't know what it was it's you know Toriyama is constantly doing this because he doesn't go back and reread what he's written and he goes wherever the the moment takes him yeah and so it's not anything new uh with respects to modern retcons in terms of uh things like the potara i was just gonna say that's probably the latest biggest example and i think the the biggest issue with that is well then really there's not much difference if there's a limited time fusion who cares between gogeta versus Fujito? right and you know and to be fair uh at the time uh it's not something that anybody was apparently aware of except maybe the elder kaioshin uh, and that Goku attributes their um, defusing to the bad air inside Boo, but there's no definitive proof of that. So you can make it work. You Do can, you want to? but but then that we had subsequent decades of well, this is the accepted truth. That's mm-hmm. more of the. I, I mean, you can change it. There's nothing stopping you from changing it. You're right to change it, but this is what it's been. What I are mean, you doing? I, I think 
it's just just the sheer amount of time that it's been the common sense yeah. accepted wisdom of the fandom more than anything else. The same thing goes for Beerus being the one that uh, sealed the Elder Kaioshin in the Z Sword. Right. Well, you know, if you go back to the manga, his story is kind of self-serving and it goes out of his way to mention that the guy was definitely weaker than he was. It's like, you wouldn't, <laughs> right. need, to, you wouldn't need to say that unless you were trying to save face i suppose but that just gets more into nothing that any of the kaioshin say is ever accurate or true or reliable yeah so again it you can make it work but really it comes down to the whims of the author because obviously beerus was not uh, a gleam in his eye at the time that he was writing the boo arc right so you know you you can take it as it is you can accept what you want to accept there's never been a definitive canon so to speak of dragon ball and you can always do what we do is uh, enjoy a little bit of everything for what it's worth, you know, yeah. take it as it is. Uh, that that will uh, cause extreme amounts of frustration for some people. I know uh, Lance, uh, Mystery Fusion, uh, also known as Gaffer Tape on our forums, uh, dedicates his Dragon Ball dissection to going over all of these story discontinuities and retcons <laughs> and, and things um, extensively. And he, he loves it. And he's extremely frustrated by it. And, you know, he's in, he's in that boat, too. So make of it what you will, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Love and frustration going hand in hand here. And if that, that doesn't answer anything, then um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do some more language things here. Uh, Rob Rodent on Twitter uh, tweeted this at us. Uh, the recent Toyotaro piece on the official website. So, Julian, uh, Toyotaro drew it every month, usually uh, around the 20th, 21st, kind of in conjunction with V-Jump-ish. Um, he puts up a drawing. They kind of morphed to what it was meant to be over time. Initially, it was described as someone who hasn't appeared in Dragon Ball Super. And it's like, well, the anime and the manga are, are kind of different now. So, uh, number eight did appear in the TV series, but didn't in the manga. So you can use him here. And, and then Broly, it's like, well, these characters did end up appearing in Dragon Ball Super Broly. So whatever. Anyway, so last month, uh, he put up a really, really cool. It wasn't just a sketch as, as he kind of done. It's kind of like a, a little mini scene. It's effectively a, a story on a single page in and of itself with Bardock's crew from the TV special speaking with Leek from Dragon Ball Super Broly with Dodoria and some henchmen in the background, kind of like tying together these two stories. Uh, it looks like Someone, whether it's Toyotaro or Shueisha, adjusted some of the dialogue from the original posting, which is what we have uh, translated on the website, uh, and, and then this new updated version. Just taking a quick look at this, what did they change in the dialogue? And it seems like it's only in Leek's dialogue? Yes, it looks like they added a son after Bardak. So he's saying that Bardak, San, and I are uh, heading back to Planet Vegeta, but what about you guys? So that's an interesting change. Um, I guess they wanted him to show more uh, respect, perhaps putting his dialogue in line with the way that he talks in the movie. I but, guess. Kind of like throws off the formatting. Yeah, it creates a sort of gap there. And I don't know if I... I think it was perfectly fine the way it was before, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. Um, Toyotaro's done this where after something's been posted, it's like, oh, I meant to say this or, oh, I thought of this afterward. Uh, I guess that's one good point about having social media now is we get follow ups on things. Uh, another good example was uh, his interview with Toriyama in Super Volume 4, I think it was, whatever the most recent was Viz put out because we were doing that comparison, the Viz's translation versus uh, w- what we have. Uh, and Toyo, Toyotaro, was it, he's, he says something like, oh, the version of Zamasu that I was talking about, I, I meant to say it was meant to be Merge Zamasu is the one who was strong there. Like, we yeah. get we get a follow-up on that on Twitter. So, unfortunately, it's not part of the original product, but you know, it's the one kind of side benefit. It is. It's it's neat the, the way that he's paying attention. Uh, maybe they'll change it for subsequent printings. Maybe not. Yeah. It's, but that that little tidbit is out there. And yeah, let's, well, we won't get into the uh, translation issues with the Viz version, but you can find those tweets on Twitter. I think we'll end up adding those probably to the uh, the full page. Actually, I have guide pages for every collected volume of Dragon Ball Super. It's just a matter of porting that on over there. Yeah. Maybe they need a few more cooks in the kitchen. I don't know. Maybe. 
<clears throat> All right, so Kevin says some random name-related questions. Is there any info on why Kyo's cricket was named Gregory, and where does the Z in Raditz come from? It's nowhere to be found in Raditzu. Would Raditz with an S be an equally valid romanization? Not that it's important. I'm just curious. <laughs> so let's take Gregory first. Anything on Gregory? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything. Even- even in in the uh, the Kanzenban guidebooks, I don't think he's specifically called out Gregory because again he's anime only, and I don't think we ever really got an answer about Gregory's naming. Even there's some very tiny notes from Toriyama that they include in some of the guidebooks about his additions for the uh, the Cyan arc in animation. Right, and Gregory's there. It does say like, oh, Toriyama Sensei designed this character for us. Yes, and it has Gregory, but it doesn't really mention anything about the naming. It's just that that's what his name is. Right. So, good question. <laughs> it's not one we have an answer for. Right. Every once in a while, we're allowed to not have an answer. All right. Why don't you break down uh, Raditz then? Why would we do a Z at the end of Raditzu? Uh, because Raditzu, it's a double, uh, it's a double consonant at the end. So the the T sound is doubled. So when that happens, it usually means that the word that it's based off of has a consonant at the end, uh, like detto. Ribbon, mm-hmm. red ribbon, for example, and uh, the romanization of the English word radish should be radishu. And so, to emphasize that, use a z. As for why not an s, mostly because we don't want to make it look like it's plural. And I guess we break that rule for beats with the Broly movie, for what it's worth. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it comes down to our personal preference. I mean, that one's also just historical as far as i know everything has always spelled it that way pretty much yeah i'd have to go back and look at maybe some old merchandise i don't know if there's anything out there i feel like if anything japanese merchandise would have had just a a literal full transliteration of all the syllables you know what we've been going for a bit so let's call it there i feel like that that was a podcast right yeah i think so Yeah, we totally did that. All right. Well, uh, head on over to the website, www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. When you visit there, you will see news. You will see uh, the complete podcast archives. You will see link to the forum. You will see, uh, you know, all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, Julian, pick a random thing. What is something that someone should go look at on Kanzenshu? The translations archives. Okay. <laughs> Pick something else. Okay. Uh, the intended endings guide. All right. These are these, these are the classics. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, rumors. <laughs> rumors. I mean, that's a classic too, but that's always good. That's my baby. So I, I like okay. that one. They're all good. No matter what you click. How do I use consent? You click something. It's going to be good. So that's <laughs> okay. that. <laughs> that's Julian. That's me. Uh, hopefully we'll get Heath back around soon uh, when things... Uh, calm down uh seems like they're getting a snowstorm i think we're getting some snow this week as well is that in the outlook for you too i think tuesday ish i heard yeah it's looking like that finally melted and now we're getting more oh, well. yep righto all right so that's what we got going on uh stay tuned there's really cool podcast stuff coming your way it's just uh as always it's a matter of scheduling and that all falls on me so everything is always my fault uh gave you the site gave you the info julian wrap it up Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Kanzenju the Podcast. Check us out next time.